repent and believe the gospel. If that's got to be one of the central reasons why we gather here this morning. And it's going to be, and it should be, I think, one of the central reasons for the Lenten season. To repent and believe the gospel. To trust God with our lives. And to trust that God has acted definitively in human history in Jesus Christ. And therefore, our whole lives should be oriented to that truth. Now, I think one of the main reasons why we have the Lenten season, where we uh, fast, in order that uh, we fast to focus our attention on Jesus, is precisely because from Easter onwards, the rest of the year, so much creeps into our lives that competes with and pushes Jesus, God, from his rightful place at the center of our lives. Career, desires, family, pleasures, you name it. Good things, even. We have a tendency to take good things and put them at the center of our lives and making them ultimate things. We put good things at the center of our lives only where God belongs. And that's why we have Lenten season to take these 40 days to reorient our lives. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus, to recommit your life. To say, no, whatever's distracting me from following Jesus, I want that to be removed, I want it to be killed, and I want to trust you. That's, I think, the point of the Lenten season. And that's not the your goal, then I want you to consider that maybe, are you fa- to what purpose are you fasting? Lent's not a diet where you just slim down, right? Abstain from chocolates and fast food. It's, it has to be more than that. And so the church, we're taking the next five weeks and we're looking at the Old Testament scriptures because we affirm and believe that God, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, didn't just apparate in the New Testament for that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, the revelation of God's perfect love for us, and that's been revealed by God throughout all of Scripture, which means throughout human history, if only we have eyes to see. And so the Old Testament reading that my daughter read today, I hope you were able to catch it. Um, I felt so proud watching her read. But anyways, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic story. It's the story of Noah, and if you've been part of church life with uh, whether a little bit or a lot, this story kind of comes up, especially in Sunday school for the kids, right? The animals, there's a beautiful giant boat, and they all walk in. And it, it can feel very wholesome, especially if you've been around Christianity a while and you're kind of used to it. But the story of Noah and the ark is actually incredibly terrifying and sobering. You see, the, the way that Scripture explains our beginnings is that God creates everything, the whole universe, creates our world, creates humanity to be in perfect relationship with God. At our beginnings, we had a perfect relationship with God, but it's God gave us a choice to trust him when we said, no, we don't want to trust you. Adam and Eve reject God, and in that rejection, they severed themselves from the source of life and love and death and misery are introduced into this world. 
And that's meant to serve as a kind of explanation for the misery and death that we see today. You just turn any newspaper on or online, you're going to see the outcome of this crucial decision in the past. God had said to Adam and Eve, the first two humans, you can have, there's a garden, I put you in a garden, you can eat from any tree in this garden, just do not eat from the tree of good and evil. Trust me that I have your best interest at heart. Do not eat from that. You can do anything else, not that. And the humans listening to the enemy, to a serpent, said, hey, did God really say that? You shouldn't trust him. The humans said, yeah, maybe we should be like God. Ate from the fruit, and in that eating, God had said, if you eat from this fruit, you're going to die. That's the consequence. They ate it, and what happened? Well, interestingly, they didn't die. Because you would think if God says the moment you eat that you're going to die, you think God's a God of truth. He doesn't lie. They eat from the fruit and, well, they don't die right away. Death is introduced. Suddenly there's a limitation to human life on earth, but from the beginning there's this question mark that's inserted in the story of human history. And Adam and Eve have families and more humans cover the earth until, it's, the Bible says, the earth is filled with humans who are really good at hating and killing each other, are excellent at doing evil, and do not listen to God, except for Noah's family. So, and God says, all right, Noah, I'm going to instruct you to build a boat, this ark. You're going to put some animals in there. You're going to get your family in there because I'm going to start clean. I'm going to wipe the earth. We're going to start again. That is a so. Just so you know, the, the story we tell our children is actually it's, it's quite sober. It's real. Now I'm going to bracket. You might have a lot of questions about the morality of God sending a flood to wipe humanity. We're going to bracket that because we're going to talk about that later in our time together in the next few weeks. Because what I want to focus on right now is that what we heard today of Noah is after the flood. The world has been cleansed. Noah and the animals come, and his family come out of the ark. And it's meant to be a new beginning. The world has a new beginning. God is giving humanity a chance to live, to be at peace with him. And then God makes a, a covenant an agreement. God has an agreement with Noah. A covenant with you. I'm not going to do any more floods. And I'm blessing you. Here's his promise. We're going to make this covenant. Here are, the, here are the terms. And we're starting again. Now, I think it's important because we're going to talk about it for five weeks to explain what covenant means. It is actually a very technical term, especially in what we call the Old Testament. A covenant is more than a promise. A covenant is the, the, an agreement between, most often a covenant is an agreement between a greater party and a lesser party. Almost, it's almost always that's the arrangement of this kind of promises. Because you can make a promise with, uh, with friends, right? There's all kinds of promises that we make in our lives. But these covenants, promises, the context was almost always between a greater party and a lesser party. And really the context of this covenant, uh, these promises would arise would be between warring nations. 
because eventually there's a, there's a winner. And so a covenant was struck between the nation that won, the strong nation, making a covenant with a weaker nation. Right? And it would go, some, it was, the promises were very asymmetrical. The winner would say, okay, I am victorious, clearly I am superior, we're going to have a covenant, you and I. We're a greater, you're a lesser. And then the covenant did not benefit the lesser party. It was, had to do with slavery, with uh, reparations, taxation. So you're going to give us all these things, because we won, and we'll protect you. Yeah, which means we own you now. And if you fulfill this promise, then you get to live. A miserable life, yes, but at least you're alive. If you do not, if you fail, if you break this promise, sword comes out, you're going to be cut in half, you and your people. We have a covenant, we have a promise here. That, to our ears, might sound very brutal, but in in ancient times, brutal, brutal times, that was understood. Well, of course, you're the greater nation, you're more powerful, well, of course, you could set the terms of engagement and that we are your lessers and we have to agree to this. And so when God is making a covenant with Noah, well, of course, a covenant, there is a greater party. Who's a greater party? God is the greatest party ever. And Noah, as impressive as he is, is a mere human. He would have to be the lesser party. And you would expect, okay, what must I do? What are the, what are the laws? What, how, how should I propitiate you? How should I make you like me? And God says, we're going to make this promise between you and I. It's a promise of life. And to show you that I mean business, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. And every time you see this, you'll know that I will never again wipe the earth with water. Yeah, things were really bad, and I made a decision, but going forward, I'm going to... At the heart of who I am is life and love. I'm not going to do that again. We're going, to, we're going to make this work. We have a new beginning here, Noah. It's a new garden. Let's work together. And that sounds really nice. That's very beautiful, actually. Almost comforting. And then you read the next verse, the second half of the reading. What happens? Noah has a vineyard. Noah gets drunk. There's destruction in the family. Ham, according to most commentators, rapes his own mom. There's incest. A child is born, Canaan, from that incest. Noah threatens, curses him. Curses are reintroduced. Slavery is introduced immediately. That shining moment where things were going to be new again, everything's going to be great, in, in a moment, it's all gone. God's covenant of goodness in life is effectively broken. Now, what is God to do? What should God do? Because if humans first eat from the tree, God said, if you eat that tree, you must die. That's the law. They ate it. Death was introduced. Eventually a flood came. God tried to rescue his people. Now there's a new, new family, a new creation, and they do it again. What should God do? 
Now here, where it gets tricky, especially for modern Western people, because often, and I've been doing this long enough, right, heard enough feedback where folks will say, well, what's all this business of a flood and judgment, blah, 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 God should just forgive, just get over it, he's God, right? He should just forgive. Should he? Just, I want to ask you something. I'll, I'll say something here, and I hope it's not too superficial, but I believe it to be true. When people say, oh, he should just forgive, my first instinct is to think, someone, you've never really been hurt. There's only a person who has not been seriously hurt can think that when someone betrays you, all you can do is, oh, just forgive. When there's been infidelity in the marriage, when parents renege on their parental responsibility. You name it. When someone's really betrayed you, do you just go, oh, well, just forgive. No. Because when something evil and wrong has occurred, it is wrong to let it pass. Oh, did we have wholesale African slavery? Ah, it's okay, guys. It's over now. No. Oh, did we commit genocide with our indigenous neighbors? Oh, well, just forgive. No, that's silly. In the extreme. When a wrong has happened, it has to be addressed. Something wrong happened, and for us to want justice in the face of wrong isn't a human idiosyncrasy. But, oh, just humans being humans. No, it's actually something correct. We're attuning to something true about the universe, that when there is a wrong, it must be righted. When there's injustice, justice must prevail, and it must be addressed. So there's Noah getting drunk, there's rape, incest, everything breaks down, slavery. What should God do? Because if he's good, he cannot let that slide. If he lets it slide, he's morally objectionable at least. He can't be God. But what should God do? Well, there's the promise, the covenant. Now, in any other covenant, oh, did you break the lesser party broke the rules? Bring out my sword. It's time to pay. Noticeably, with Noah, the symbol of the covenant was a rainbow. And it's more than just nice colors. Commentators will point out that seeing in a certain light, the rainbow is like a war bow. But it's not pointing towards the earth, it's pointing to heaven. So God's covenant is different from any other human covenant that we could concoct. God says, in effect, here's my promise with you, Noah. And if you do not fulfill the terms of this covenant, humans would say, well, then you pay. But God says, if you don't fulfill, if you break it, if you fail, if you sin, if you ruin the world, I'll take. Noah and his family broke God's covenant. And guess what happened? Nothing. Just like Adam and Eve, they didn't die right away. You would think, again, if you do this, you die. They didn't. In fact, the human race moved forward. We're here today, friends. God didn't wipe us out. We're still here. And the same issues that Noah had in his family are found throughout the world and in our lives. 
Because the whole point of that story is to show that the problem of humanity isn't an external action, it's actually something deep within us. Even through the ark, there's a problem that we bring after the flood that we still have today, that each one of us is a source of loneliness, of alienation, of misery that we've suffered and misery that we visit on others. And yet God says to all of us, I am a God of love, I am a God of life. You break my promise, you're not going to pay. The bow is pointing up, I'm going to pay. And I want you to know that for thousands of years, that moment with Noah, Adam and Eve, and Noah just hung in the air. I'm sure people were thinking about it for thousands of years. When does the other shoe fall? Is God a liar? No, we have to trust that God's not a liar, but he said if we sin, we die. We're still here. What's going on? God is a God of justice. He has to address the evil in our lives and in this world, but he's also a God of love and mercy. He comes into the world in the person of Jesus, and he says, you can't actually pay for this problem of sin. Because if you had to pay with your lives, then we would have an infinite row of human lives, just dying, 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 dying. You could never solve this problem. Only God can solve this problem. And so only God came into this world in the person of Jesus to solve, to heal our hearts and our lives. Because you dying for your sin, it's just another human death. You don't make up, you don't heal the sin in the world, you just die. And that's all that happens. Our death simply begets death and nothingness. But God of life coming, even his death, produces life. That's why he came. This story is resolved in Jesus. That's what we look towards when we come to Holy Week, to Good Friday, to the resurrection. That our misery, that our loneliness, that our, our suffering has an end and is resolved in Jesus. And if you trust in him, then his life and his love are placed into the center of who you are and God's healing and love will do its work in your life. I'll tell you right now, there are hurt in your life that is not resolved, that no amount of counseling can deal with. You need the healing of Jesus. There are people in your life right now that you are not forgiving, that you find it impossible to forgive. Yes, because on your own you can't, but armed with the love of Jesus, you can take that step of forgiveness. Maybe even reconciliation. Who knows? That might be too far. But is anything impossible for God whose very death breathes life? No. That's the point. Our failure as a race and as individuals, is not greater than the life and love of God found in Jesus. And when you trust him, all our suffering, all our hurt is undone and a new life begins. So my friends, I wanna encourage you this Lent, we have 40 days, to consider, reconsider what Jesus has done for you and for me to think out, process the implications of what it means for God to come to this world, to give his life for you and for me. To ask yourself the question, 
God, you're offering me this gift. Am I actually receiving it? What's preventing me from receiving your life and your love? How can my life be seen to be different? I can experience new life because I'm accepting your, your love. Can you show that to me? My friends, I hope that's your prayer. That it's our prayer as a church. Not only for our great good, but for God's greater glory. Amen? All right, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Lord, I give you thanks and praise that though our history is replete with suffering, with alienation, with loneliness, with pain that we've received, but that we also inflict on each other, God, though our, our history is so sordid and cruel, God, you don't, you don't ignore us, you don't turn away, but that you've come to us in the person of Jesus to heal our world and our lives. God, I pray for each person in this room Whatever is stopping us from receiving your life and your love, please, God, remove that. Help us to trust you. Help us to turn to you with repentance and faith. You love us. You're with us. Help us to receive you. This we pray in the name of Jesus.